You're listening to Grounded, a podcast by the Oregon Department of Energy. Welcome, Grounded listeners. I am your host, Erica Hirsch, and I am so glad you're here with me for a special episode about all things biomass. We'll kick off the conversation with Odo's very own Senior Energy Policy Analyst, John Cornwell. John will take us through some biomass fundamentals, and then we'll visit with Dr. Wayne Lay. We'll explore the torfaction process with Dr. Lay and learn about the new Restoration Fuels Biomass Torfaction Plant in John Day, Oregon. As always, please pardon any audio challenges. We are still conducting all interviews remotely. All right, let's get started. John joined Odo in June of 2020 and has a background in economics and clean energy transitions, among other things. And I've been able to work with him on several projects, including Odo's 2020 Biennial Energy Report, and he is a blast and has a wealth of knowledge. Fun fact, I've never met John in person. As I stated before, he started last year, and since then, everything's been remote. With that, let's sit back, meet John, and have some fun. All right. Well, welcome, John. I am so excited that you're here with us today. And let's talk biomass. Can you please introduce yourself, where you're from, and your role with Oregon Department of Energy? Sure. My name is John Cornwell. I'm a senior energy policy analyst with the Oregon Department of Energy. I focus on clean energy, clean energy markets, clean energy in general, and also uh, administer the renewable portfolio standard from the uh, Oregon Department of Energy side, which involves certification of facilities so that they can produce renewable energy certificates with renewable energy to comply with Oregon's renewable portfolio standard. And I do have an accent. I'm originally from Australia, but I've lived here in Oregon for 12 years now. Nice. Thank you for going a little bit deeper into that. I didn't want to put you on the spot. And you do have a very lovely accent, and it's always so such a pleasure to talk with you. Oh, um, <laughs> so let's let's start with fundamentals. I I know um, a lot of our listeners, of course, are going to know this, but for myself and then the listeners that don't, what is biomass? What type of energy source is it? What type of fuel is it? Sure. So biomass is a very broad term in a sense, and it's used to describe any organic material or organic matter or resource which is derived from plants or animal matter or even as byproducts of human waste or processes think food production or, or logging manure from agriculture etc uh wood grass and woody plants other things like that as well now I think it's important to, from the perspective of having a conversation about it, it's important to break things out a little. Sure, please do. Um, and so as, as I'm talking, I'll be talking about, when I talk about biomass, I'll actually be thinking of combustion of solid biomass fuels. Okay. So things like uh, wood, forest residues, solid waste, etc. As opposed to solid fuels, biogas, on the other hand, would be the combustion of gas that's a byproduct of biomass. So think landfill gas. So our landfills, you know, as as material is decomposing in landfills, particularly in in a state with limited or no oxygen, they'll create biogases, methane in particular. Same with manures or uh, wastewater projects or wastewater facilities. 
and you can also uh, put solid biomass through gasification processes to generate to create gas that could then be com combusted either to produce electricity or heat. I like to separate those things out a little just for um, ease of discussion. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for that. That is really helpful. So when we think about biomass as an energy source potential for, for Oregon or lack thereof, what do you know or what, what do you see its role for Oregonians? So Oregon, you know, as, as we who live in Oregon know, has an abundance of plant materials, biomass in general, you know, beautiful forests and uh, a robust agriculture sector. You, there is a lot of uh, potential in terms of materials for uh, combustion of biomass for things like ele generating electricity or heating. Uh, at the moment, I believe Oregon ranks 19th among states in terms of biomass generation capacity. And in 2018, Oregon generated about 740,000 megawatt hours of electricity from direct fire, fired combustion of biomass, which is around a little over 1%. Okay. Of its total electricity generation and biomass electricity accounted for about half a percent of Oregon's total retail electricity consumption. Okay, so if if that ranks us a, at nineteenth in the country, I would take it that that a lot of states don't even have that one percent. Yeah, a lot of a lot of states wouldn't even reach that, and 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 okay. uh, you know, the, some of the other states you can think of that may have may rank above us. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, include Washington, California, sure. some states in the Northeast as well, and some of those states have larger populations. So you know, we, we we would expect on on a on an absolute level, uh, Oregon would rank below some of those, like California. Sure. In terms of the number of facilities that are generating electricity in Oregon, and maybe I'm going a little bit beyond potential here. Uh, at the moment, there are 16 facilities in Oregon that use direct fire combustion of biomass to generate that electricity. And most of those facilities, which account for about 92% of all the biomass mm -hmm. uh, electricity production, they burn wood or wood byproducts. So mostly from pulp and paper mills or lumber mills. And so there'll be electricity production. Then there are other facilities that are cogeneration facilities. So they both create electricity, but then also produce heat for on-site use. Sure. Okay. And then there is one biomass facility which is in Marion County, which burns municipal solid waste. And when we think about municipal solid waste, there are things in within municipal solid waste that are biomass, that are biogenic in nature. Food waste, uh, again, uh, wood products, maybe waste wood, people throwing away furniture, things like that. But then there are also non-biogenic materials. So the obvious one is plastics. We, we would typically not include plastics when we're talking about biomass, but think about those biogenic sources. So in Oregon, you know, as I mentioned before, Oregon has a substantial forestry and agriculture sector, does produce a significant amount of potential feedstock for biomass facilities, as well as another source of materials could be materials that could be harvested as part of forest health activities, forest thinning, general forest management activities, and so those those types of things could potentially be combusted for biomass energy generation. So National Renewable Energy Lab uh, does some work on estimating potential, as does the Department of Energy. Mm -hmm. And 
they've estimated that in total the resources generated would, could be around 8.7 million dry tons of feedstock, which would be capable of generating about eight to nine gigawatt hours of electricity, which is a big number. Sure. So with that, can you tell us about biomass torfication, torfaction actually? I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. It seems like it's been a hot topic these last couple months, and I wanted to hear from you your thoughts on it and and exactly what it is, what that process is, and what it creates. Sure. So torrefaction, I think you had that right, torrefaction. Yes. Simply put, it's a process of uh, roasting and compressing wood chips into a pellet or briquette form. Mm-hmm. So generally forest residues, uh, materials are brought into a facility where that wood is roasted at very high temperatures. So somewhere between 400 and 750 degrees Fahrenheit typically. Oh, wow. And what that does is it creates a material in pellet or brick form that's similar to coal. You know, one way to think about it is maybe uh, like roasting coffee beans. Yeah. Uh, in a sense, I guess. And so the resulting product is similar to coal, but it, instead of being fossilized coal, which is what we typically use, where wood or, or organic uh, materials have been subjected to pressure and, and, and temperature o- over millions of years to create coal. Sure. This takes recently grown wood and makes it into a material that's that's similar in composition to coal. And then that can be can be combusted typically it's somewhat similar to coal interesting so let's look at the 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 other side what are some if any uh, non-energy implications when it comes to using biomass for electricity there are several and i'll break them down i think into think looking at the economic implications um and then some of the things we've already discussed, the, the the potential for use of waste products and how that can be beneficial. Again, you, Oregon has a strong you know, for, forestry and agricultural sector. Combustion of biomass, which uses uh, waste products or products from those processes, can provide economic benefits to communities in Oregon through combustion of waste products from pulp or paper mills, Mm -hmm. you have reduced waste from those mills and increased revenues for those businesses, which in turn increases economic activity and provides economic benefits to the communities that those facilities are located in. You you can see uh, that in terms of increased employment opportunities, uh, increased tax revenues, and increased wages, et cetera. You know, in terms of, touched on there a little bit, the waste product side of things, moving beyond waste products from pulp and paper mills, there's also general municipal waste, agricultural waste, landfills. All of these waste streams take up resources to dispose of. And what, one way of disposal is is through use in combustion for, for energy, electricity, or heat. You know, it is maybe a more uh, beneficial use for all of us than just disposing it into landfills. Sure, yeah. So our time has come to start wrapping up. Is there anything you would like to leave us with? Yeah, I mean, I think as we move forward as a community, as a broad Oregon community towards uh, reaching clean, uh, our clean energy goals, I think it's important that we think broadly about all of the available resources to us and that they all of, all of these resources have their benefits and costs, pros and cons. And 
biomass is one such resource that 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 has a place in in our in our suite of resources that we consider as we move forward. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. And it, it's beautiful. I'm excited for that. That is a great way, way to wrap up the conversation. And at this point, I would like to thank you so much for your time. And hopefully I will be talking to you soon. Thanks very much. Thanks for the opportunity to chat. Still with me? Great. Now that we're biomass experts, or at least more familiar, I wanted to spend some time with Dr. Wayne Lay and take a deeper dive on the torfaction process and learn about the brand new torfaction plant in John Day, Oregon. Dr. Lay is a native Oregonian and has 34 years of experience with electric utilities, just recently retiring from PGE three years ago. He is currently serving as the Chief Technology Officer for Restoration Fuels and handles the technology aspects of production. He also has a killer sense of humor and really knows his stuff when it comes to torrifiers. Let's listen. Welcome, and thank you for being here with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Let's jump right in. Can you tell me about the plant at John Day that plants torfication, torfaction process, please? The uh, torfaction process uh, is actually the roasting of wood or any biomass for that matter, but roast it in a low oxygen environment so that uh, you get a char basically and that char is really quite remarkable it's um, if you do it for a long time at a higher temperature you'll get charcoal uh, we do it at about a half step below charcoal this is the torrefaction process the uh, the unit in john day will be the first in north america at this scale its uh, output will be 12 tons an hour and at that scale, it, it is truly commercial scale. All the other torrefiers that folks have tried in the past have been much smaller. And so torrefied fuel is has the characteristics that are very similar to coal. If you use Powder River Basin coal from uh, Wyoming and Montana, it took about 60 million years for Mother Nature to make that. We're going to make our stuff in about an hour. So Wow. So it's a lot. That's as long as it takes. Yeah, uh, yeah, just about. Uh, maybe a little bit longer to include the drying time. But uh, one of the reasons why you want to do torrefaction or make charcoal, and, and we've made charcoal for the better part of like, two thousand years. Sure. We you do that because process you eliminate a fair amount of what I call the volatile gases. This is the kind of the smoky stuff that comes off your campfire or the fire in your uh, fireplace. That's a kind of a low temperature fire. It is just sort of slowly burns it off and it causes a lot of smoke. And like, I mean, the greener the wood, in fact, the more you're going to get. But, uh, you know, if you're an ancient Roman or an ancient Chinese, you really didn't want a smoky fire in your very expensive villa in Capri. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So they would have charcoal made and bring the charcoal in because when you put that in your brazier and you light it up, you get very little smoke, but you get a lot of heat. The neat thing about any kind of biomass that you torrefy in this case and then run to a power plant to make uh, electrons with it uh, is that it's considered renewable. Great. Thank you for that. Let's talk about why this project with the plant at John Day and the use endowment for forestry and communities is so unique. We have a special angle here that we're focused on, and, and the folks that are actually funding this torrefier in John Day, this is their primary mission. And that is, we have a lot of forests right now that are severely overgrown. They're overgrown by virtue of uh, essentially a century of 
fire suppression public policy. Uh, when you do that, it just leads to a lot of fuel in these forests that really don't do long. And, you know, in the Cascades alone, you'll have 500 lightning strikes just naturally occurring, right? and a fair number of them will start fires. Uh, and there's not a whole lot you can do about that, right? I mean, right. <laughs> you comes over, you, it lights up, you have a fire. Well, the ecology of inland forests and certainly uh, the, the wetter forests on this side is that it's actually adapted to those kind of low intensity, low temperature fires. And in the inland west, uh, certainly on the other side of the Cascades, uh, you have trees that are actually adapted to that range of fire. It's uh, uh, ponderosa pines are a really good example. And those low heat fires, those are good, right? Those are part of the ecosystem. It's when we get to the high heat fires that create the devastation. That's correct. And and, and frankly, there, there really is no good news from the high temperature, what they call crown temperature fires. And we've seen a lot of them now. And in fact, most evidently in the last four years, uh, we've seen so many of these big, massive fires now that they're coagulating bringing, well, you saw it this, if you were in Portland or actually say any part of Oregon for that matter, uh, this last year was very bad. I mean, uh, unbreathable for literally a couple of weeks in a row. And then um, and it was like that in 2017, 2018, although a little bit less of a magnitude. But still, it's not healthy. It's not healthy to breathe that air. I, I think reports are about half the air pollution produced in the state actually came from these massive forest fires. So uh, we got to do something about that. And so the folks funding this tour fire, interestingly, the reason why they want to do it is the U.S. Endowment for Forestry and Communities, uh, a bona fide charitable organization, they're a nonprofit. Um, so they want to fund this because the target material to tour fire is actually this excess fuel in the forest. Uh, in the surrounding region of John Bay, in this case, it's the uh, yeah. Who would who would go out and collect collect that fuel? Go go through the forest. Are there partnerships there? That's right. Uh, one of the uh, attractive features of uh, planting the tor fire in uh, a local sawmill there, which is the Mountaineer uh, Lumber Company, the the last one left, I might add, in Central Oregon, mm -hmm. that uh, the the national forest that surrounds it, it's the Malheur National Forest, uh, was very progressive. They, they actually went out and did detailed studies of the forest to assess where and what sections needed to have treatment to reduce this overgrown fuel. Wow. But yeah, if, if it wasn't for that, I mean, they, they basically uh, put on the shelf something like 42 sections of the forest that need to be treated. And so uh, uh, these are, uh, they let the, let the work out through contract, it's called stewardship contract, and those are folks going out and doing the work. And uh, when I say they analyzed it, they actually did an environmental impact statement on every section. That they did. Uh, it's very comprehensive. And the folks who really, really made that happen was not just the Forest Service, but the the stakeholders that they assembled and, and, and from the community that was really starting to see, hey, this is bad. I mean, if we, we don't do something here pretty quick, not only are we losing what we have left of our timber infrastructure, we're actually losing forests and it's, it's just not good. And so uh, the Blue Mountain Forest Partnership was, uh, was hatched because of that. And uh, 
Uh, it was a very good piece on them done by uh, the, I the Oregon Public Radio about a, about a year ago. Well worth watching the, the tag along with this podcast. Sure. Uh, it it takes that kind of cooperation and you know, and if you watch it, you'll see you know you've got to build trust <laughs> and uh, you know, we've had uh, lots of uh, conflict in the past about force, but there's no argument about doing this. Uh, this is a good thing. It needs to be done. Yes, definitely. So where is John Day in relation to Oregon? Is that central, like uh, like Bend area? Uh, yeah, it's about an hour and a half. Okay. It's uh, closer to uh, uh, Prineville and Redmond. But, gotcha. Uh, closer. Okay. Yeah. So the... in fact, yeah, go ahead. Oh, just really quick. So is that the, the only one of its kind in Oregon? Actually, at this size, it's the only one of its kind on this half of the planet. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. That's what <laughs> that's what I was getting at. <laughs> yeah, the other the other uh, the other one is located in Portugal, I might add, and uh, it's it's virtually the same size. Uh, it's built built with a lot more bells and whistles, but uh, ours will work. Trust me. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Can you tell me more about how the plant operates and its status for opening? So there's uh, basically uh, three main systems to make up the entire system. There's a, a, a rather large belt dryer you know, that operates on a principle uh, very similar to uh, a hairboard dryer. <laughs> uh, so we take uh, wood chips that, that come in from this uh, source material from the stewardship contract, uh, chip it down to about, we don't, but the, the, the sawmill does, uh, about three quarter to one and a half inch diameter particles and they get dried to about 10 percent moisture content on the dryer and then uh, from there we have a series of conveyors that take it over to the torrifier and the torrifier then will take that 10 percent moisture content reduce it down to about five to six percent and in that process uh, at a much higher temperature and again in a low oxygen environment it will do the charm and when it comes out at the back end of that, it will be somewhere between dark brown and even black in color, and it will be charred all the way through. When I break break apart a full coffee bean, and you'll see what I mean. Wow! Yes, yeah. so that's after after the coffee process. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, the the status of the plant itself is the dryer is uh, uh, fully up and commissioned. Uh, we're we're going to start operating in in. in full out here probably another week or two and the uh all the conveyance systems uh they've been tested and uh, lots of safety systems have been put into them uh, got a chance to get a lot of dust generation and then uh we were commissioning and have actually commissioned most of the torrifier and then uh, we ran into a problem with all the folks and so that's under we're going to do that by the end of the month and we should be up and operating start to finish wet green wood chip at the front end torrified wood chip at the back end oh sometime next month i'm pretty sure wow yeah it's pretty close and then uh, once it comes out by the way is that wood chip uh we do densify it and the reason why you want to do that is two the first is uh it's pretty light at that point and you don't want to transport something that's very light yeah, that was my next question. How how is it transported? So yeah. say you know you do take it to board bin. Is it trucks? Is it train? And how does that fly? Small, oh yeah, planes. <laughs> yeah, well, if it were to boardman, and there's nobody saying we're going to do that at this point, but uh, sure. Uh, but if uh, if it were to boardman, we'd probably just truck it. 
that that's kind of what we've been up to. The uh, we expect to be operating sometime next month, uh, buying everything else falling uh, through. And uh, uh, the folks that we've hired so far, uh, three of them are actually returning to John Day. These are young families. Yeah, let's talk about that. So bringing jobs, that's that's always fantastic. And I read that the plant was hoping to provide, what is it, 15 to 17 new positions. And yep. you shared, yeah, that a couple of those families returned that were originally from John Day. That is Definitely. really exciting. Do you see the potential in, in areas that have been hit with falling jobs from plants shutting down to where there's any potential to, to reinvigorate these towns that have been hit by it? Well, the answer is yes. And, um, you know, we've, we've been very quiet about it. I mean, we, we, I think we've issued one press release. You, you really have. I had to dig. You've been very quiet. <laughs> yeah, we're under, you know, under promise of performance. But, you know, we're at a point now where you know, people are going to want to know. So, sure. <laughs> so we're going to, we're, we're starting to, you know, open up a little bit more about it. The, uh, so yeah, we, we, I think we'll be hiring somewhere close to 20, maybe 21 people at this point. Uh, we, we come to grips with, uh, so far of the, I think we have about 17 folks. Uh, uh, yeah, three of them uh, uh, returned back to John Day area. Uh, two are, uh, two actually graduated from Grant Union High School, which is- That is exciting. Right at the town, right? It's great. Yeah, yeah that is wonderful. Uh, it really is. And uh, it's it's one of those things that uh, if we reproduce that in other areas that have these same problems, right? And, mm -hmm. uh, find a logistical stream that can take that fuel to a willing power plant. Yeah, it's very reproducible, actually. Uh, if it were, and the power plant itself, the ones on there, obviously, that you have the list would be uh, coal-fired power plants that are mm -hmm. you know, designated to go down, uh, largely for uh, being replaced by renewable power, which this would work. Well, I mean, it affects everything. The, uh, the tax base, property tax, home yeah. money. So it's more than just employment. It's very important, obviously, but uh, you know, schools, funding for schools typically are more than other places. So, yeah. Uh, big potential. Yeah, it is. It's, it's very good. Uh, so I, just to give you a big hint, if, uh, I, I, I was reluctant to do these calculations, but at the end of the day, people just really wanted to know. So I actually went and did some calculations about what it would take. If you, if you decided to operate, say, the Boardman power plant, a medium-sized, Coal-fired power plant, mm -hmm. 600 megawatts. If you decide to operate it full out, 600 megawatts full load, and you had about 80% reliability, which is normally what you calculated into a plant. Now, I, what we mean by that is you got to go down for maintenance and things like that. So uh, it would take 23 tor fires. <laughs> wow. The size of John Day's unit to actually you know, to facilitate. Now, you're not going to put that one county, or you could, I suppose, one county over from, uh, from John Day's, uh, you know, Grant County, but uh, arguably you'd spread those around to other national forests and the, the Whitman will allow it. They all have the same problem. Would it, would it equal out for the investment in the tour fires around, say, around an area, again, just, just theoretically Boardman, to, to fire that plant, would it equal out with that investment to create those and then the power that plant would put out for communities at this time, or does something need to happen for it to be worthwhile for consumers? You know, and investors. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you have broached 
the one problem that exists for, well, it existed for wind and solar up until about 15, 20 years ago. You're right, yeah. And 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 now for biomass up to a point, uh, especially torrified biomass, especially if you wanted to keep solid fuel plant like like Gordon of a lot. And the problem is this, I mean, you know, we do funny things with the electricity we make, right? I mean, big power plant, lots of fuel going into it, lots of people operating it, mm-hmm. big numbers coming out, really heavy capital infrastructure. Right. And yeah. What do we do with those electrons? Well, you know, we, we toast a slice of bread with them. Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when you think about it, like, well, I mean, yeah, we do a lot of it. I mean, you and I are on, on, on the internet right now, right? So, look, here's here's the notion, okay? This fuel, this torrified wood fuel, is going to be expensive. It just has to be, okay? And it's certainly going to be more expensive than coal. But nobody wants to burn coal anymore. No, you're right. Yeah, that, so there, yeah. there is interest to go to do something else. Right. And so you say, well, there is a renewable subsidy up to a point for the biomass. That's true. But even that might not be enough. And and frankly, people think of things differently, burn things too. But in this case, it's actually a good thing. Because I'm going to tell you why. The uh, A torrified wood will burn much cleaner than coal. I want to establish that right away. In oh, fact, it burns better than coal inside the power plant. The guys of the plant actually will like it more too. It has less ash, so you get less you know, ash to have to deal with, you get less objects of art created inside the fireball because uh, there's so much uh, silica and ash and you get really nice glass structures in there. You get that major benefit. The other major benefit, and this is going to sound kind of weird, but, is that you actually concentrate the CO2 that's released in the combustion. I'm going to repeat that. Okay. <laughs> when you burn something in a power plant, you affect they start to concentrate the CO2 that you're that you have to because right? you're right. purposefully taking all of that fuel, putting it into one spot, turning it into a big fireball, and then you have CO2. Well, that's not a good thing if it were coal, mm-hmm. but if it were uh, biomass, you can in theory replace that within somebody else's next lifetime. Okay, if it's a tree, go. Please. Oh, no, I just I wanted to know if there was anything you wanted to leave us with. We're starting to get wind down on our time and I'm just fascinated by this. I don't know if you want to tell us maybe what you you hope for with with plants like this and John Day or your next adventure. I don't know. It seems like there's lots of potential and possibilities. You you tell me. <laughs> well, the first thing. Um... You know, the, the big dream of doing everything we just talked about. Sure. I, I think you'll actually hear more conversation about that. But on a more micro micro scale, you know, that plant in one day costs $20 million, which is considerably cheaper than we've heard others before. But uh, still, it was funded by the public charity. It was a, yeah, it was. They were willing to take the, um, you know, the U.S. endowment for forestry communities. They were willing to take the first major risk because they think it's that important, right? Yeah. So we'd like very much to make sure if we can return that investment to them. If we can, if we can do that, we'd love to do it. So right off the bat, we'd like to get this thing up and operating, make sure it's operating cleanly, safely. We have all the permits. We're ready to go. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Wow, what a stellar project. Thank you so much for spending this time and talking with me. Please keep in touch. Thank you. Whew, that was a lot of fun. 
Thank you so much for joining me. Please don't forget to check out the show notes. I'll have links to photos and helpful resources and even more on biomass if you haven't had your fill. As always, feel free to reach out to me with questions or comments or requests. And until next time, stay grounded.